Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We are glad you're here with us this morning. If you have children that are going down for children's church, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If your children are staying with us, there's activities on that back table that they can grab uh, and use throughout the service. So there's also a uh, sermon notes designed for them that they can use as well. Um, so today we are continuing on our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. We're in chapter 6 today, if you want to head there. And it is Jesus' first recorded teaching discourse in the Gospels. As we have studied the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have seen Jesus challenge many of the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of their day, and, and challenge their ideas of what it meant to follow God. And in doing so, he has challenged many of our ideas of faith as well. The Pharisees had made following God all about their works and all about their external actions. They had devised systems in which they sought to appease God by doing certain things in hopes of getting God to really do what they wanted and to keep themselves in power. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and what he is saying to us is that God is far more concerned about our hearts than he is our religious actions, or our religious gains. God desires for our hearts to become more like his. He desires for us to love, forgive, serve, and care for others as he does. He desires for us to love God and prioritize him and his ways above everything else. And when we experience heart change, our actions will follow but when we uh, just change our actions without seeing our heart change, it becomes duty, a game, and manipulation. And we have seen that theme time and time again in the Sermon on the Mount. God is concerned about our hearts, our souls, not just our external actions. And we're going to see that theme once again today. Today, Jesus is going to talk about our treasure, our resources. And he's, he's going to tell us there is no greater indication of our true heart than our treasure. Jesus is calling, God, calling us to put God first in our lives. And for many of us, especially in America, it is our treasure, our, our money that has become our God and our source of security and our chief pursuit. So Jesus in this section of scripture is going to use three different illustrations to help us answer this question. Who or what is first in our life? Or who or what is your master? So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse 19 and we're going to read through uh, verse 24. Jesus says to us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege and joy it is to uh, study your word and to uh, sing songs of praise to you. God, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you for this section of scripture. God, I pray that as we study it this morning, you will speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would call us to, uh, to, to devote ourselves just to you. That we would call us to make you our God and our, you our priority in our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us of where we are uh, lacking or where we are maybe uh, missing it in this area. And you would call us to deeper faith. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they might experience your grace and your forgiveness for the first time today. So God, we love you. Uh, we praise you. And God, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So as mentioned in the introduction, Jesus is going to use three different illustrations in this section to help us examine our hearts, our priority in this life. 
And that first illustration came in verses 19 through 21, and it might be the most well-known of these three illustrations. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus here makes this really very logical argument for investing our resources and our lives in the kingdom of God as opposed to things of this world. One of the things he says is eternal. Its impact will last for eternity. The other is temporary. We can't take it with us and it will eventually pass away. Right? As the great philosopher George Strait saying, right, I ain't ever seen a hearse with a luggage rack. And so if you believe in eternity and you know eternity is coming, then why, Jesus says, would you invest your life and your resources primarily in this world where you know it's going to pass away? And again, this is common sense. When you are investing, your investor will tell you, you have to see beyond today. You have to see beyond this week and this month, and you have to plan for 30, 40 years out into the future. And when you delay gratification today and invest for the future, that's when wealth is developed. You have to delay and deny today in order to experience the life you desire in the future. So Jesus takes this principle, which we know and believe in this life, and he expands it to all of eternity. He says, you know, he's saying we, not, not saying we earn our way to heaven, but he's saying by the way we spend our money and invest our time, we are, uh, we are logically, we are investing in the future. He's saying logically, why invest in that which passes away when we can invest our lives, our resources, into something that's going to make an eternal difference? And he gives us three pictures of how our earthly treasures will pass away. First of all, he says that moths, vermin, and time will come and destroy our possessions here on earth. Have you ever driven by or been to a junkyard and you, or just seen an old car on the road? You think to yourself, that was somebody's dream car once upon a time. Once upon a car, time, that car that is now rusted out and is no longer running was someone's dream come true. I think about this every time uh, I drive. I've got, a, I've got a 97 F-150 that still gets the job done, uh, but I wouldn't trust it to drive like farther than Green River to Rock Springs. But that truck was the top-of-the-line model in 1997. But it makes the base models today look like luxury trucks, right? Time has taken its toll. Its value is minimal. And Jesus says that's what happens to our investments here on earth. They are temporary. They will leave us empty, and we will ultimately leave them behind when we die. Things don't last. And even if they did, we don't, right? Death is the ultimate thief that separates us from our possessions. You can't take it with you, just like George Strait said. That's why Job in the Old Testament, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 about a rich fool who stored up all sorts of things for himself. And God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. G. Campbell Morgan wrote, If you make your fortune on earth, you poor, sorry, silly soul. You have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold on to it. The treasures we store up on earth, they will one day pass away. We know this. We know this logically. And so Jesus is calling us to invest our life and our resources in something more. And so our first point or our first question for us to consider today is this. Where are you investing your life and where are you investing your treasure? Jesus says the reality is earthly things will pass away. And he's calling us to invest in something better. In verse 20, he gives us the alternative. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, unlike earthly treasures, heavenly treasures, heavenly investments will last for eternity. So how do we do that? How do we invest our lives, our energy, our resources in God's kingdom and in heavenly things? Well, the Bible tells us there are only two things in this world that ultimately will not pass away. And those two things are the word of God and people. And those two things are where we need to prioritize our life, prioritize the word of God, prioritize the Bible, the teachings of the Bible over the teachings of the world. And then we are called to prioritize people over things. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So if you want to store up treasures in heaven, then invest your life, your time, your resources in people and in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, invest in the kingdom of God, invest in people, invest in heavenly, eternal things where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, and where death does not separate us from them. So how can we practically do this? Well, I think uh, I thought of three different ways we can practically invest our lives in eternal things. One of the ways is the way you pray. Right, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but do your prayers primarily focus on you and the things of this world? Or do your prayers primarily focus on God, his kingdom, and other people? If you want to see your perspective, your eyes lift from the things of the world to the things of God and eternity, then begin praying for the things of God. Pray for specific people by name. Pray for opportunities to share God's hope. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your church and other churches. Pray for the activities of God that make an eternal difference. Start praying with an eternal perspective. Secondly, you can invest in eternal things by the way you live. If you live your life grinding the days out, working for a paycheck, living to get to Friday night or to a vacation, then you are investing your life in the temporal if you want to invest in the kingdom of God and store up treasures in heaven, then you and we have to begin seeing our day-to-day -day not as something to merely survive, but as an investment in God's kingdom and the people around you. Invest your treasure in people, but also invest your life in people. And prayer is so helpful in helping us do this. Right? If you work in the mines, this shifts your roles from just being a miner with a task to do that day to a miner sent by God to shine his light and share his hope to the other miners on your crew. Pray for them, serve them at work, listen to them, befriend them, give wise counsel and point them to Jesus. If you work in the schools, you recognize you're not just the secretary, the janitor, the aide, the sub, the teacher, the administrator, the counselor, but God has strategically put you where you are with purpose to shine his light to the other adults in your building and to the students in your building. Pray for those around you. Serve them. Love them unconditionally and point them to Jesus. If you're a parent, you're not just folding laundry. You're not just doing the dishes or mowing the grass. You're not just changing diapers, buying groceries, and helping your children just to survive the day. But God has placed you in that role to raise your children, to point them to Jesus, to model Jesus to them, and lead them to live their lives for him. Right? You get it. No matter your job, God hasn't placed you there just to earn a paycheck, but he has placed you there to invest in people, to invest in his kingdom, and to make an eternal difference. You have a purpose. You have an opportunity to invest your life in eternity. But you and I, we have to lift our eyes from the temporal and, being, and begin seeing the people around us and seeing God's eternal purpose in our school, in our job, in our hobbies, and wherever we go. And then the final thing you can do is examine your treasure. Are your resources and the things you possess, is your income your chief pursuit, or is it God and his ways? Jesus is going to say this in the next verse, but where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. 
That is what is your God. And so if you want to invest in eternal things, you have to begin to be generous with your income towards the things of God and towards people. We talked about it a, a few weeks ago, but Jesus assumed that regular systematic giving towards God's church would be a part of the Christian's life. And then above and beyond that, generous giving towards people in need would be a part of who we are. And when you're generous with your treasure, its hold over your heart will loosen. So how can you do this? Real practically, begin systematically giving to God's kingdom in this causes. Right, if you're worried that we're in a budget crisis and we're trying to manipulate you, I assure you we're not. Uh, come and see me and I will tell you another church to, to give to if you're worried about that. But begin giving and begin giving first and not over, out of what is left over. The Bible suggests giving 10% of your income systematically and then giving above and beyond that to people in need and other causes. But if you look at your budget and 10% just seems uh, unattainable at this point, then just start somewhere. Start with an amount or start with a percent and try to grow that over the years. But if you want to live generously and you feel God calling you to invest in his kingdom, then start somewhere and make a plan. The data tells us that if you just plan to give when you feel like it or give when you make more, you never will. So give to God first and give to him regularly because we know all things and all of our resources come from him. All right, verse 21. Verse 21, we see why this is so important. The Bible tells us God doesn't need your money, but he desires your heart. And there is no greater indication of your heart than where you spend and invest your resources. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why does the way we spend our money and value our treasures matter? It matters because Jesus says those two things reveal where our heart is. Jesus talks about money second to the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And that's because Jesus knows that where our money is, is where our heart is. As we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it is our heart that God is most concerned about. God desires for us to make him Lord of our lives, the priority of our lives, and it is our money and our wealth that draws us away so often from him more than anything else. C.S. Lewis said, wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Really, this isn't a wealth issue. This is a heart issue. And anytime we place our wealth or our possessions above God, we have drifted into what the Bible calls idolatry. That income or that thing has become our God. It's become our source of security, our source of happiness and joy. So what is your treasure? It's whatever you value most in life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Everything which hinders us from loving God above all things and acts as a barrier between ourselves and our obedience to Jesus is our treasure and the place where our heart is. Whether it is the wealthy man in his investments or the homeless man in his blankets, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our money, our giving, our spending is the greatest indication of where our heart is. Our money, our treasure, that thing we value so much, it reveals where our heart is. If we value our happiness above everything else, we'll spend our money on things that make us happy. If we value convenience, we'll spend things on things that make life easier. If we value comfort, we will spend our money on things that make us more comfortable. If we value status, we will spend our money on things that make us look good. If we value our children more than anything else, we will spend disproportionately our money on them. If we value others, we'll spend money on others. And if we value the kingdom of God, we will spend money on kingdom causes. Jesus, where we spend our treasure says a lot about what is most important about it to us. It tells us where our heart is. Now, it's not wrong to save for the future or practice wise financial planning. Those things are not only encouraged but commanded in Scripture. It's not wrong to have money or things, but it is wrong to love money or things. 
It's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us. It's not wrong to possess things, but it's wrong for those things to possess and own us. 1 Timothy 4.3.4 tells us God has given us good things to enjoy. But we must always have the perspective that they are temporary and God is eternal. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, God doesn't desire to just be one of our pursuits. But he desires for us to love him with all that we are. And so Jesus tells us to store up our treasures in heaven. Because where our treasure is, there too will our heart be. Your heart follows your treasure. And Jesus says this is pressing not, not because of your checkbook is on the line, but it is pressing because your heart is on the line. So he continues this theme into the next illustration, verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? First, I read this illustration. It seems a little bit confusing. But when we place it into the context of this passage, I think it is really powerful. One thing we see is that the imagery of the eyes is very much a continuation of this theme of the heart. The eyes are symbolic throughout the Psalms and other places in the Bible of our heart. Where our eyes go is where our heart goes or where our heart is. And then this word here that the NIV translates healthy or, or your Bible might translate good, it comes from this thought or this expression of being single-minded or having a singleness of purpose. And so Jesus is saying when your eyes, when your heart is single-mindedly focused on God, then you will walk in light. When your heart is right, your whole life, your whole purpose comes into focus. You have one purpose, and everything in your life falls under that purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God and make Him known. Interestingly enough, the alternative definition of the word translated good is the word generous, which has been and will continue to be a theme in this section. But we become and are more generous when we are single-mindedly focused on God and His ways, His goodness, and His generosity. And so I love this imagery of the eyes, though, because it makes me think about perspective. When my eyes are down, when my eyes are focused on the temporary, on the day-to-day, -day, on the challenges, on the promises before me, then I tend to worry, and I tend to try and just survive. I tend to focus on me, and I miss God, God's promises, and I miss all that he is doing around me. But when my eyes lift and are single-mindedly focused on God and his kingdom, then so many of the stresses fall to the wayside. I find my life has more purpose and joy because I'm not just trying to survive, but I'm living to glorify God and make him known. We just sang that song, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. I love that song. And I love the line that, Turn your eyes to Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Jesus says when we focus on him, so many of the challenges, so many of the, the problems, so many of the other pursuits, they grow dim because we see that he is our greatest pursuit. He is our God. But the challenge for me is that challenge of keeping that perspective and lifting my eyes. Uh, these last couple of weeks, the, the, uh, the March Madness basketball tournament is going on. And it's been on our TV a lot and something we have enjoyed. And when you're learning to play basketball, one of the things you first learn to do is you learn to dribble. And as you get older and better, you learn to dribble with your eyes up. Because if your eyes are down watching the dribble, you are a completely ineffective basketball player. You have to have your eyes up so that you can see the floor, the basket, your teammates, the defenders, and where you're going. 
Kansas State, they got this uh, incredible uh, point guard named Marquise Noel. They got knocked out yesterday. But the game before, he broke the NCAA tournament assist record. Uh, and he's just incredible to watch because he sees the court. His eyes are up. And these guys at that level, they are not only not watching their dribble, but they're not even watching the defender in front of them. Their eyes are up. They're seeing the lanes open. They're watching their teammates moving. They're seeing the basket and the court with perspective. Whereas if I was out there, I would just be trying to survive and focused on my dribble. Right? I'd be focused on the defender in front of me, just panicked and trying to not let him steal the ball. I'd be completely ineffective. And so Jesus is calling us to lift our eyes so that we can see all that he is doing, so that we can see our purpose and what he is doing in this life. Jesus is calling us as followers to focus on God with a single-mindedness. and To not be distracted by the challenges, pursuits, and desires of this world. And when, we focus, when we're focused on God, the promise is we will walk in his light. In the next verse, Jesus is going to give us the alternative. Let's get our question first. And our next point, our next question is this. What is my focus? What is my priority in life? So Jesus says, follow God with single-mindedness, with, with eternal perspective. And when you do, you will walk in his light. And he says the alternative in verse 23. He says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? Clark, in his commentary on Matthews, he, he provides some perspective to this. He says, an evil eye was a phrase in use among the ancient Jews to denote an envious, covetous man or disposition. A man who repined at his neighbor's prosperity, loved his own money, and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. The reality is that's the way most of the world lives. Most of the world lives focused on themselves, their wealth, their desires, their pursuits, their challenges. And they see the world as an obstacle in their way to get what they want. And Jesus says when you live like this, you're living in darkness. When your eyes are bad, then you can't see. You walk in darkness. It's such great imagery. Uh, some of you might be in the same boat as me, but I have terrible eyesight. But thanks to contacts and glasses, I can see clearly when they are on. When my contacts are in or my glasses are on, things are focused. They are sharp. The color is bright and vivid. But when I take my glasses off, I just see fuzzy colors and fuzzy shapes. And when your eyes get to the point that you go blind, you literally walk through this world in darkness. And so Jesus says when you live single-mindedly focused on God, it's like you have your glasses on. You walk in clarity and in light. But when your eyes shift to greed to the world, to just you, he says you walk in darkness with a lack of clarity as you navigate this life. Anders writes in his commentary, the person with a generous eye can see clearly and life can be guided in wisdom and safety by such light. The person with a covetous, selfish eye is walking in darkness and is bound for harm he cannot see. He says poor perspective causes stumbling. I love that last line. Poor perspective causes stumbling. Isn't that true in our lives? When we shift our focus from God, we tend to stumble into darkness. But when we're focused on him, we have perspective and things are clear and they make sense. So often I and we think that when we focus on self and our desires, then things will get more clear. But Jesus says it's the opposite. When we focus not on self but on God, that's when we experience clarity and purpose in life. Clarity and purpose that will lead us to be generous with our lives and our resources. All right, verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus brings this section to a close. He's talked about having two treasures. He's talked about two sets of eyes, and now he talks about two masters. Jesus writes, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus here doesn't really mince words, but he speaks quite clearly. 
We love to make God one of our many priorities. Depending on the season, the day, the location, we slide him up and down our priority list. On Sunday mornings, he might be our master, our priority, our God, our leader. But when we are at work or out with the boys or on the sports field or hunting or wherever it is, he slides dramatically down that priority list. Jesus, that's not what God desires. That's not how it works. He says it is impossible to serve two masters. You can work two different jobs at two different times, but you cannot serve two masters at the same time. Because when you are serving one, you to the other. It's the same with God. You either serve God or you serve something else. James 4.4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Jesus later in Matthew 12, 30 says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Jesus says we can't be neutral on God. We can't be half in on God. We've seen this theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But God desires our hearts and he desires all of our hearts. He desires to be our God, not just one of many gods or idols that we follow in our life. We cannot serve and follow God and also serve the God of money, the God of power, the God of self, the God of materialism, the God of you fill in the blank. It's simply not possible, Jesus says. We can only be devoted to one thing as our God. Jesus explains this why. He says either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's about our devotion. It's about our worship. It's about our priority. It's about the focus in our life. We saw this with the, lie, with the, with the eyes uh, illustration. We are called to be single-minded in our worship. And as soon as our worship is divided, as soon as our eyes drift from God, we lose clarity and we begin walking in darkness. Jesus is not saying it's evil to have money, to have things, to have jobs, to have hobbies, to have a life. But he is saying it is wrong when the things of this world, the things of this life become our God. When they become our focus, when they become our priority, when they capture our hearts. Psalm 62.10 says, though your riches may increase, do not set your heart on them. The example here is riches, but you fill in the blank with your temptation. Though your title is increases, don't set your heart on it. Though the size of your truck increases, don't set your heart on it. Though your power increases, don't set your heart on it. Though your social media reach increases, don't set your heart on it. Though your praise or fame of yourself increases, don't set your heart on it. So Jesus is saying that no matter the draw of the world, don't set your heart on it. Don't make it your master, your idol, your God. Don't draw your sense of worth, your sense of purpose, your value, your future, your happiness, your contentment from that thing. But find those things only in God alone. So that's our final question, our final point today. And that is this, who or what is my master? And then Jesus here, he gives that specific example, which I believe was the greatest threat then and is the greatest threat today. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And once again, we're taken back to verse 21, which reads, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word here translated money comes from the word mammon, which means not only your money, as in your dollar bills, but your possessions as well. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God as well as money and your things. And so he's asking us, what will it be? Will you serve God, or will you serve your money, or will you serve your things? This is so significant because who our God is, who our master is, the lens through which we make every decision in this life. If your God is your money or is your things, you will always choose to invest your treasures here on earth. 
But if God is your God, if your perspective is eternity, if he is your greatest treasure, then it becomes natural to invest in eternal things. How you'll make your decisions is based on who your God is. So who is your master? Who or what have you made your God? So in this passage, Jesus asks us three really challenging questions or challenging thoughts to consider. One, will we store up treasure on earth or will we store it up in heaven? Two, are our, are our eyes single-mindedly focused on God? Is our heart right with God or is it wrong? And lastly, will we serve God or will we serve our mammon? Will we serve our treasures and our things? Jesus tells us three very important things about our heart too. He says our treasure is what determines our heart. It's our heart that determines the course of our life. And we cannot divide our heart between two masters. So as we begin to wrap up and Emily comes to play, we have to answer the question, who or what is my God? Have I trusted my life, my future, my eternity to God, to Yahweh, the God of heaven? And if so, am I living for him or am I living as if something else is my God? We must always remember the Sermon on the Mount was written for those that claim to be followers of God. So if you're here today and you are not a follower of God, please hear that Jesus is not calling you to start giving your money away in order to earn his approval. That's not at all his call for you. Instead, his call, his desire for you is that you might experience his love, his forgiveness, his lordship, his promise of eternity, which is so much greater than money and the things of this world, which will rot and pass away. He is calling you to make him lord and to let go of the things of the world and make him your lord and savior. And so that's you if you're not a follower of Jesus. He's not asking you to give anything away. He's not really asking you to examine your heart, but he is inviting you to turn from your sins, to ask Jesus for forgiveness and to experience his love and forgiveness today. If that's you and you're ready to make Jesus your master, your Lord, and your Savior, and you can pray in your seat something as simple as, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are God and that you came to earth and lived a sinless life and died for my sins because you love me. And I want to repent and turn away from my sins. And follow after you. Also, if you pray something as simple as that, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, you declare with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's you, and you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life. You can talk to him in your seat. You can come see me after service, and I would love to talk and pray with you and answer any questions you may have. But again, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is for you. And he is asking you, and he's asking me, who is your master? Who or what is your God? You may say today and say on Sunday mornings that God is my master. He is my Lord. But what is your life? Perhaps more personally, your checkbook or time say your master is. And if today Jesus has revealed something that other than God that has become your idol, that has become your master, then you first need to admit that and repent. As you repent, pray that God would help heal your heart and prioritize him in your life. And after you pray, after you talk to God, after you uh, ask for his forgiveness, then would you just take a very practical step in your area of temptation this week? Or better yet, when you get home today, make a step to make God master in that area. If your treasure is your money, then take a step to be more generous and kingdom invested. If your treasure is a thing, then perhaps you need to get rid of it or find a way to share it for God's glory instead of your own. Something else has become your focus, your treasure, your sense of security and pride and happiness. Then how is God calling you to give it up? Whatever it is for you, take a step today and this week to be single-mindedly focused on God as opposed to the things, idols, and pursuits of this world.
just a second, I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, Emily's going to come and she's just going to play. And as she plays, I just ask you to sit in your seats and pray and just reflect on who God is and how he's calling you to follow him in a more devoted way. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are worthy of being our God. We thank you that you are, are greater than our lives. We thank you that you are eternal. Thank you that you offer forgiveness to, to me and to any and all that will repent and follow after you. So God, I pray that just in these next few moments, God, that you would help us to see, see quite clearly what it is that has become our greatest treasure. What it is that has become our God or our idol. Where it is that we are looking for happiness, for security, for a future. What it is we are trusting as opposed to you. So God, I pray you will speak clearly to us, God. And then I pray that you would give us the courage to repent and turn from that thing. And to make you our God. To make you our master. To make you our sense of purpose and contentment and security in the future. We might focus single-mindedly on you as opposed to the pursuits of this world. God, that we might store up treasures in heaven as opposed to treasures here on earth. God, I pray that you would help us to be a, a people that are focused on your kingdom, that are focused on others as opposed to ourselves. God, we humbly pray that you might use us to make an eternal difference in this world. So God, we pray that you would speak to us in these next few moments. In your name we pray. Amen. God, as we leave and we go throughout uh, this week, Lord, we pray that we would just make you our treasure, our God, um, our source of security in a future. May you help us to single-mindedly focus on you alone. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, just a couple of announcements this morning before we wrap up. Uh, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. Also, where you place your tithes and offerings, you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights. Uh, if you have questions about that, come and see me. We have youth group and kids nights, which meets here at the church on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Um, if you have questions about that, you can come see me as well. Uh, and then there's some dates on that back uh, on, the, on your announcements for uh, summer uh, children's sleepaway camp on Casper Mountain, summer youth camp on Casper Mountain, and then also our... Um, uh, VBS day camp, which will be here um, at the church this summer. If you have questions about any of those, come see me and I'll point you in the right direction. 
Uh, thank you so much for being here this week. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed.